Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. For nearly a decade, the U.S. and its allies, including the U.K., Turkey, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia, waged a catastrophic proxy war inside of Syria. The war was devastating and very expensive. Take it from someone who was there, Joe Biden, speaking in 2014. Our biggest problem is our allies. Our allies in the region were our largest problem in Syria. The Turks were great friends, and I have a great relationship with Erdogan, which I've just spent a lot of time with. The Saudis, the Emiratis, etc. What were they doing? They were so determined to take down Assad and essentially have a proxy Sunni-Shia war. What did they do? They poured hundreds of millions of dollars and tens, thousands of tons of weapons into anyone who would fight against Assad, except that the people who were being, who were being supplied were al-Nusra and al-Qaeda and the extremist elements of jihadis coming from other parts of the world. Now, you think I'm exaggerating? Take a look. Now, Joe Biden was forced to apologize, not because of anything that he said was false, but because he offended Turkey and Saudi Arabia. What he didn't mention, though, is the critical U.S. role. According to the New York Times, the CIA's program in Syria was, quote, one of the costliest covert action programs, unquote, in CIA history. According to the Washington Post, it had a, quote, budget approaching $1 billion per year. Now we have new details on another aspect of the war's cost, the propaganda effort. And that comes in new leaks that have been reported on by my colleague at the Gray Zone, Ben Norton, in an article called Leak Docs Expose Massive Syria Propaganda Operation Waged by Western Government Contractors and Media. Ben Norton, welcome to Pushback. Thanks for having me, Aaron. So a trove of documents have been leaked. You've just gone through them and written an article about their contents. What do these leaks show? Yeah, Aaron, you, you you did a really good intro there, just providing the larger context, because, of course, we have to understand that this information war that I wrote about is part of a larger proxy war. But I think, you know, in the 21st century, the information war is one of the most important aspects of any of these kind of conventional wars, because, you know, the, the U.S. military or the Israeli military or in this in the case of Syria, Turkish-backed forces, Saudi, Qatari-backed forces, you know, what they do on the ground is important, but because they're internationally supported, what they do in the media is in some ways, it's a force multiplier. It's in some ways even more important. So this, these leaked documents that I went through, they, they show some of the, the British contractors and how they played a key role in developing an entire infrastructure supporting the Syrian opposition. And it's really hard to overstate the importance of this because when I say that they were supporting the Syrian opposition, th that's kind of understating what they were doing. And they were actually really creating the Syrian opposition as a political force. Because in 2011, when the uprising began, the protests began in Syria, of course, there were some legitimate protests, but what happened is that there was an astroturfing campaign, and immediately these Western organizations, and not just governments, but these these groups that are contractors that have a, a you know a kind of complex relationship with Western governments, they're kind of intelligence cutouts, but they also exist 
doing their own kind of work. They're, they're kind of outsourced government organizations. And what happened is when the protests began, they immediately mobilized into action to co-opt many of these protests and to develop an opposition that would serve Western interests. And I mentioned the role of Britain in this because these leaked documents happened to be documents that were filed with the British Foreign Office, the UK Foreign and Commonwealth Office. So it, it provides a very British perspective on the role, on, on what London was doing in the war. But of course, many of these contractors were also working on what they call multi-country projects. So they were funded by the U.S. government as well, by the Saudi monarchy, by the UAE, so by other governments that were involved, by other European governments, including the Dutch government, which played a key role in the war in Syria. So when I say the British role, we should understand it as a larger U.S., European, Western government role. And th these firms, I mean, they, they spent millions and millions of British pounds, so millions and millions of dollars over many years supporting these projects. And, and some of the firms who are involved, there were four main firms that, that I went through. ARC, the Global Strategy Network, Incostrat, or Innovative Communication Strategies, and Albany. So these are the four main firms. You know, their names are not really that important. What's important is that people understand what these firms were doing. And for an example, this, this firm Incostrat, which is, again, a British contractor that was working in Syria, it boasted that it had developed a network of more than 1,600 international journalists and influencers, in its language, that were working on Syria. And it was working these, these contacts, so it was planting stories in the media, it was shaping media coverage. And um, this other group I mentioned, ARC, ARC is probably the most influential of these contractors. ARC was not only working with journalists, it was creating its own journalists on the ground inside Syria. Going back to 2011, ARC said in the documents that it filed that in 2011 it had some of its operatives on the ground who were working with the protesters who were helping them to develop a parallel government. And that parallel government eventually becomes recognized, you know, kind of, Juan Guaido style, the strategy would later be repeated in Venezuela, but it was, you know, spearheaded in Syria and in Libya before that. And the the parallel opposition government that was based in Turkey, and actually, ironically, there, there were actually there ended up being two parallel opposition governments for Syria based in Turkey and Qatar. But the parallel opposition was developed directly by this British contractor, ARC. And the mission statement that they wrote was, was essentially focus grouped in these workshops that were organized by these UK and US government contractors. So we see at every single level, the Syrian opposition, and specifically its PR and media narrative, was overseen by these Western government contractors. It, it's really incredible. I mean, it's hard to kind of summarize exactly what they were doing because the details are so specific, and there are so many hundreds of pages of documents that I sifted through. But really, I think that's that's a larger overview of, of what this scandal is. It just It's not necessarily even new. We knew that Western governments were supporting many of these opposition groups and helping to create them. But I think what the real takeaway, the kind of elevator speech summary of what this, these documents show is that every single level of the Syrian opposition, from its name, 
from its branding, from its messaging, from what it said to where it said it, from its interviews and corporate media outlets, all of that was micromanaged by Western government contractors who acted as PR firms, as PR flax from the beginning, the very beginning of the war in Syria, overseeing, micromanaging every th single aspect of this information war. It, it's, it's, it's really incredible, and it shows how, as I began this answer saying, in the 21st century, war is just as much about information, disinformation, propaganda, and branding and marketing as it is about the actual fighting on the ground. So when I think about one of the key propaganda achievements of the Syria proxy war, of those who waged the Syria proxy war, it was their success in basically conflating, successfully conflating in the eyes of the Western public, the protests that came out in the spring of 2011 demanding reforms against an authoritarian government conflating that with what the proxy war became which was the u.s and its allies spending billions of dollars on a bloody proxy war that mostly benefited jihadist groups and including al-qaeda and its allies ending up with a lot of the weapons that the U.S. and its allies poured in, you know, and that uh, the sect and the public not being aware that, for example, these forces were not fighting for democracy; they were heavily sectarian. There was that slogan, "Christians to Beirut, Alawites to the grave," and um, many sectarian atrocities in the process. Based on your reading of these documents, can you glean anything about that PR effort to sort of rebrand in the eyes of the public these? fanatical jihadists, murderous jihadists, uh, with being, you know, the, the pro-democracy or pro-reform protesters of 2011? Yeah, Aaron. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that angle because it's so important to understand that the vast majority of the armed opposition groups, the ones that were actually on the ground in Syria, not, not the ones in suits and ties who were living in, in Qatar and Turkey and negotiating in the international stage, the political opposition who, who was portrayed as moderate in the corporate media, but the actual people who had the guns on the grounds. And, and actually, to quote, to quote Hillary Clinton, she, she said that the hard men with the guns is what she was talking about when she wanted more support for the war in Syria. Well, the hard men with the guns were hard men who were very extremist ideologically, who were, for the most part, extremist Sunni fundamentalists, abiding by an ideology that would be considered Wahhabi, similar to the Saudi fundamentalist state ideology, or Salafi jihadi specifically. I'm, I'm not saying that all Sunnis are like this, but this is a very extreme form of Sunni Islam that sees other Muslims, Shia Muslims, even other Sunni Muslims who are secular as apostates. They're called takfiris who want to kill the other Muslims who are not pure enough. I mean, they're, they're fascists. And what's incredible is that these documents show how there was a concerted effort by these Western government contractors to rebrand the image there's, there's one document that it's, it says it so blatantly, it couldn't be said more explicitly. I mentioned this firm ARK, A-R-K. This is an Emirati-based firm. It, it's run by Brits, by you know British citizens, but it's, it's legally based 
in the United Arab Emirates, although it also has an office in London. And ARC was one of the main firms. ARC boasted in, this, in one of these documents that it, it oversaw $66 million worth of Western government contracts working inside Syria from the very beginning of the 2011 protests and the militarization and the war. So ARC, one of the key players involved. And ARC, they, there was a document here in which they say that they openly admit that they were overseeing the PR strategy of the Supreme Military Council. The Supreme Military Council was the military leadership of the official armed wing of the Syrian opposition, recognized by Western governments, which is called the Free Syrian Army, the FSA. So in the early years of the war, the FSA, all of the Western corporate media reporting was talking about how this is the group that's going to overthrow the Syrian government. It was, of course, later overtaken by Syria's al-Qaeda affiliate, Jabhat al-Nusra, and it was also overtaken by ISIS. But in the early days, the, these Western contractors were concerned because they recognized that many of these fighters in the so-called Free Syrian Army were hardline Salafi jihadists. They were extremists. So ARC has a document here and they said that they were, I'm, I'm going to quote exactly from the document. They say that they created a complex PR campaign to, quote, provide a rebranding of the Supreme Military Council in order to distinguish itself from extremist armed opposition groups and to establish the image of a functioning, inclusive, disciplined, and professional military body. So that's what they themselves were saying. And then they also, they have like this PowerPoint kind of slide that they include in the, their report for the UK Foreign Office. And they say that, that one of their goals was to quote, one of their goals was, quote, softening the FSA image, softening the FSA image. So, and, and they have above it, they have previous propaganda that was used by the Syrian, the Free Syrian Army, and it shows these jihadis within all black with weapons. And then they softened the image by taking off the the masks and by having men with short beards. I mean, it's really cynical, but it's pure marketing. And it shows that it shows that these firms knew back in 2012. These documents are from 2012, and this they're talking about materials from 2012. They knew from the very beginning of the war that they were dealing with hardline Salafi jihadists, but they understood that to win the support, the hearts and minds in the West, they had to portray them as nationalists who are Democrats. So I mean, it, it's such a cynical narrative, but this firm arc was so influential. They boast also in the documents and on their website that some of their government clients for this firm ARC include Britain, the United States, Denmark, Canada, Japan, the European Union, and the United Nations. And this this group FARC, uh, FARC, sorry, this group ARC, A-R-K, this group ARC boasted that they had training centers in Syria and in southern Turkey, and in those centers, they trained, and I'm quoting exactly, more than 150 activists, and they trained them, quote, from, on topics from the basics of camera handling, lighting, and sound to producing reports, journalistic safety, and online security. And ARC also boasted that they... Print, that they printed 668,000 print products and then distributed them all throughout Syria in six months. So over half a million brochures, flyers, booklets, books, and other 
propaganda materials, and that was in six months. And you know, I don't want to overwhelm people with the numbers here, but there are a few other examples here. There was this other British contractor, which is called TGSN. This was founded by the former director of counterterrorism for MI6, which is the British CIA. So this is a British intelligence cutout created by former British intelligence operatives. They boasted that this, this contractor, TGCN, oversaw inside Syria 97 video stringers, 23 writers, 49 distributors, 23 photographers, 19 in-country trainers, eight training centers, three entire large media offices, and 32 researchers. And this group, TGSN and ARC, they worked together with Western corporate media outlets, and they, they named some of the Western corporate media outlets they were working with. Reuters, the New York Times, CNN, the BBC, the Guardian, the Financial Times, the Times, Al Jazeera, Sky News, Sky News Arabic, Orient TV, and Al Arabiya. So, I mean, this is really incredible. Just take a step back. What I'm explaining here is that these British government and Western, other Western government-funded groups that were closely linked to British intelligence, MI6, the CIA, they, they trained hundreds of of media activists inside Syria. So these are opposition supporters who want to create propaganda and an information war. They were trained at every level by Western government contractors. They were given equipment at every level, including cameras, lighting, editing equipment. They were trained how to use it. So they were trained how to create all of this propaganda. And then the, these Western government contractors worked as liaisons directly facilitating interviews in between Reuters, the New York Times, CNN, the BBC, the Guardian, and the opposition media activists that they themselves trained and they themselves taught what marketing slogans to use. So every single level of the, the media coverage of Syria was astroturfed, was micromanaged by Western government contractors. What the activists said, who the activists who appeared in the media were, what equipment they were using, what video they were using. I mean, it really shows, it's, it's really brainwashing. That, all we can do is, that's the, that's the real, just to describe, it's hard to describe what they were doing, but I think if we had to, to pick a term, it would be brainwashing. They're, ma they're overseeing a massive information war, psychological war, at every single level, shaping media coverage. ARC, this, this British government, this Western, U.S., British, Denmark, Dutch government uh, contractor, it boasted in one of these documents that ARC has provided regular branded and unbranded content to key pan-Arab and Syria-focused satellite TV channels such as Al Jazeera, Al Arabiya, BBC Arabic, Orient TV, and others since 2012. So what they're saying in that document here is that from the very beginning of the war, this British government and U.S. government contractor was providing regular branded and unbranded content. And in normal words, what that means is they were creating packages, video packages, some of which had their own logos on it and some of it didn't even, it was just raw footage. And then feeding that to all of these major TV networks. And they boasted that in 2014, 20 of their Syria reports were produced on average every single month and broadcast every single day 
on Al Arabiya, Al Jazeera, and Orient TV. Absolutely incredible. All right, but you might have people listening to this and not fully aware of the details of the Syria proxy war. And they might think, well, what's wrong with training media activists and giving people cameras to film bombings and film atrocities? What, what's your response to that? Well, a few things. One, of course, what these media activists are doing is not providing unpartisan, nuanced, neutral reporting on what's actually happening on the ground. This is information warfare. Some of the documents show that some of the meetings included training the media activists in how to frame certain narratives in a way that will help their interests. And actually, there are other documents showing how these Western government contractors actually intentionally created their own stories, so-called stories. I mean, it's basically fake news. They created their own propaganda and then spread it in the Western media to push the political interests of the opposition. So th this is not like this is not like journalists going in and trying to show the world what's happening. It's the exact opposite. It's trying to directly trying to influence the opinion of foreigners and encourage support for foreign military intervention by manufacturing consent. What we're seeing here is is the most blatant example of manufacturing consent. This is not reporting. This is propaganda. So what they were doing is they were training these media activists in what can tug at the heartstrings of Western journalists. This also gives rise to the white helmets, to videos of children. Of course, they're also telling them to ignore certain details, like the extremist Salafi jihadis that were dominating these areas. So what they were also teaching them to do, there was one document showing what they should focus on, the certain themes they should focus on. All of the themes were about the atrocities committed by the Syrian government. None of, none of the themes focused on what the opposition was actually constructing. They weren't trying to show the West the great democratic governments that have been created in these so-called liberated areas because they knew they weren't democratic governments. They were actually brutal regimes led by warlords who were theocratic fundamentalists, who ethnically cleansed religious minorities, and who ruled the areas like thugs. And in fact, many of the civilians in these areas feared them because they knew that they could be killed without any justice. And in many of these areas, there were women, for instance, who were executed in public because they were accused of adultery. So when I say, when I say this, this is not hyperbole. There, there's an incredible document in here where, where they say very explicitly, quote, ARC products promoting Her Majesty's government's priorities by fostering attitudinal and behavioral change are broadcast almost every day on pan-Arab channels. All right, well, let me translate that into normal English. They're boasting that every single day they were posting, publishing, broadcasting videos that created attitudinal and behavioral change. What that means is brainwashing. That's what it is. They're saying that they were changing the attitudes and behaviors, the ideas, the outlooks of people in the West and in the Middle East to try to make them sympathetic to the opposition. This is, it's straight up brainwashing. It's constant onslaughts of propaganda to get people to support the opposition and to demonize the Syrian government. Yeah, I mean, what I think is hard to understand unless you do a lot of reading, and I had to do this to fully come to my own analysis of the Syrian proxy war, is that, 
you know, it's not like Assad is bombing all these cities because he's a bloodthirsty dictator who enjoys killing children. It's fighting a brutal war that was imposed on him from the outside. The protesters who marched for reforms in 2011 are not the core of the military force that was attacking the Syrian army and chanting sectarian slogans. Assad and his government had to fight back against you know, Saudi Arabia and the U.S. and all the weapons that were coming in from these areas and all the foreign fighters that are not even Syrian that are coming in from across Turkey. And I just want to give people an example of what I'm talking about and what was missed because of the media propaganda and spin that Ben is documenting here. There are some reporters in the West who got the story correctly who and actually went to Syria instead of sitting in Turkey and Beirut and just regurgitating the propaganda that was fed to them by their handlers. And one of those reporters who got it right is Robert F. Worth of the New York Times. So this is, you know, the most mainstream publications. Um, this is the most mainstream publication possible. And Robert Worth is talking about uh, the U.S.-backed rebels in Latakia who were closing in on the city of Latakia in 2015. And he writes this, quote, In the summer of 2015, the rebels were closing in on the Latakia city limits and mortars were falling downtown. If the rebels had captured the area where Alawites are the majority, a result would almost certainly have been sectarian mass murder, unquote. So that's a case where the same rebels who were being rebranded by these firms that Ben is talking about as being, you know, uh, Democrats and freedom fighters or people who, if they were successful, were poised to commit sectarian mass murder. And I think that's a good explanation, Ben, for why so much money, as you've documented, was spent on trying to rebrand them into being something far different than they are in the eyes of the Western public. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Aaron. And even saying rebranding, I think, is, is too mild. Every single stage of this, I mean, it's just hard to overestimate this fact that every single aspect of the opposition was micromanaged by these Western government contractors. It's really, it's probably the largest propaganda war that's ever been waged in history. I mean, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but just with the technology we're talking about, with the degree to which this war was waged through the media, I mean, there there is no historical parallel. It's absolutely incredible. And it's, of course, still continuing. But and it makes sense, by the way, by the way, Ben, it makes sense, given that, again, according to The Washington Post, the CIA's budget, the CIA alone on the Syria proxy war was approaching one billion dollars a year. So it makes perfect sense that a lot of money then was spent on the information propaganda component of this to whitewash it. Yeah, and and you mentioned, Aaron, that this was the largest CIA operation since the infamous Operation Cyclone in Afghanistan in the 1980s, which ironically gave birth to al-Qaeda and the Taliban, in which the CIA trained and armed and supported many of these extremist Salafi jihadist groups known as the Mujahideen. And the war in Syria is very similar. But really, uh, the difference now is that Everyone spends all of their time on social media, on TV, on the internet, reading the news. That's how they engage with what's happening inside Syria. And in the 1980s, people were seeing that war in Afghanistan through the TV, through movies. But people, the average person, not just in the West, but around the world, in Syria and other countries, they they get that information through their phone, through their computer. So the degree to which that 
information stream was at every single stage managed from the creation of the the very media itself, from how it was distributed to who it was that was saying it to what platforms were publishing it. It was all micromanaged by Western governments. It's it's really incredible. And you raise another really important point that is not stressed enough. And that is that the Syrian government was fighting a civil war against a massive insurgency against it. And the the way that it's singleized, singularized, individualized on Bashar al-Assad, the president itself, is really incredible. I mean, of course, yes, Syri- the Syrian government is a brutal police state. Like pretty much every country in the Middle East, show me one that's not a brutal police state. I mean, Lebanon, it, it's a totally collapsing, failed state. But you, Syria is not unique in that regard. But Syria is unique in that it has a totally secular government that maintains equal rights for all religious sects. And there are a variety of religious sects that are recognized by the government. Many forms of Christianity, many forms of Islam, the Druze, there are some Jews as well. And if the government had been overthrown, all of those ethnic minorities would have been murdered or ethnically cleansed by this extremist Western-backed opposition. And what's incredible is that the Syrian military, when it was waging this war, the Syrian military is a pluralist institution that has many different religions, including the majority of the soldiers were themselves Sunni Muslims. There are Christians, there are Druze, there are Shia. And they were all fighting in this war in, in a what was actually a, a this was a draft based army. So these are people who didn't even volunteer in many cases. And what's what's incredible is that Bashar al-Assad has no ex- military experience. It's very likely that he made very little of the, the actual decisions in terms of the military battles. It was his generals who were making those decisions. But everything is portrayed as if Assad is this totalitarian dictator who controls everything and and he personally chose where the military was going to bomb i mean it it betrays a total misunderstanding of how these wars are actually fought and if you actually look at areas of syria that were bombed by the u.s-led coalition areas like raqqa that were controlled by isis the devastation in those areas is the worst it, you can imagine, it's way worse than in the other areas of Syria that were liberated by the Syrian army. Raqqa, and, in Raqqa, basically every single building was just razed to the ground. Everything was destroyed by U.S. bombing. Journalists who have visited said that it was like the apocalypse. It was the end of the world. Yeah, Ben, and, let me, and, ben, ben, and, ben, let me read you a quote. And the fact that Americans, yeah. one second, the fact that Americans don't even know about Raqqa and what happened in those cities is a testament to just how effective this propaganda campaign was. Yeah, let me read you a quote. There was a New Yorker article recently by a journalist um, named Luke Mogelson. And the article repeats a lot of the propaganda, the US propaganda around the proxy war. But nonetheless, it acknowledges the realities of Raqqa. And let me read some quotes from him because it's quite extraordinary. He says that the US bombing of, uh, of Syria, quote, has reduced parts of the country to wasteland Unquote. In Raqqa, the U.S. adopted, quote, a strategy of physical annihilation applied against a city that still harbored a significant civilian population, unquote. Raqqa's, quote, utter decimation might be unique in this century, unquote. In Raqqa, quote, the comprehensiveness of the destruction can be visually disorienting. So, so that is a, 
U.S. journalist who I think still repeats in other parts of his article a lot of the, you know, Western propaganda about Syria, but still has to acknowledge the reality of what Raqqa was. And what's amazing about that is the U.S. is bombing Raqqa with much more sophisticated weapons than the Syrian government ha has, especially until Russia comes along, which is not until 2015. But yet you look at the different standards held to a government that is defending its own country against a proxy war and a lot of foreign fighters that have come in to wage war against it. And the U.S., which is bombing a country, you know, uh, thousands of miles away that it was not even invited to by the Syrian government. It, it's amazing to compare the, even the double standard just right there. Yeah, I mean, th that passage you just read, Aaron, the fact that almost zero Americans and, and people in other Western countries have ever heard that is a testament to just how effective this propaganda campaign was. We, we've heard nonstop, endlessly for years about how evil the blood-sucking dictator Bashar al-Assad is who bombs his people for fun. But the reality is that if you look at the areas liberated by the government, the, the Syrian Arab army and its allies, Iran, Hezbollah, and Russia, and then if you look at the areas liberated, in quotes, by the U.S.-led military coalition, well, there's a huge difference. The latter was just turned to total rubble. I mean, they, they just destroyed the entire city and said, well, here, you can have your city back, or at least what's left of it. And then in the areas of, uh, that, were, that were liberated by the Syrian army, yeah, civilians were killed. It's very unfortunate. But it's not like the, the government killed the civilians for fun. It killed the civilians erroneously, not because it wanted to, but as part of the campaign to retake the city. And what's incredible is if you actually look at some of these Western government-backed opposition groups, they acknowledged that the total death toll in Syria, which is not known, there's never going to be an official estimate because the United Nations stopped counting. There's no official toll. But these, these partisan pro-opposition groups, they acknowledged that the death toll is pretty evenly shared between the opposition and pro-government forces. And again, I want to stress that many of the fighters in the Syrian army were conscripted. This, they, they did not voluntarily join. They were drafted. And, and an equal number, roughly, of pro-government fighters died as the opposition fighters died. Many of them were extremist jihadis, of course. So, and then, of course, there are civilians, and it's true that the, that the government-backed forces were responsible for more civilian casualties, but that's because they didn't control the territory. The, the Salafi jihadi-dominated extremists, the opposition, they were the ones who controlled the territory, and if you control a territory, it's much easier to hold on to it than it is to try to retake the territory. And if you're bombing the territory to try to retake your own cities that are, are held by these extremists, then of course there's going to be more civilian casualties. It, the fact that that's not understood is another testament to just how effective this brainwashing campaign was, this massive propaganda war waged not just on the minds of Syrians, but on the minds of Westerners funded by their own governments. It's, it's, it's really incredible. And it's another example of how, you know, Americans and, and Europeans, for that matter, often talk about how brainwashed people are supposedly in authoritarian regimes, as they say it, in North Korea, in Syria, in, in China. 
But the reality is that th these propaganda operations show just how brainwashed people in, in Western governments are at every single level by their own governments, using their own tax dollars. Because you have to manufacture consent. You know, it's interesting. I've been covering especially the OPCW Duma scandal where you have this alleged chemical attack by the Syrian government in the city of Duma in April 2018. The U.S., British, and France then bomb Syria based on that allegation. Later on, or shortly afterwards, a OPCW inspection team goes in and they issue a report publicly that essentially backs up the U.S. narrative that there was a chemical attack without fully endorsing it. They use some kind of ambiguous language. Then about a year later, we get these leaks, which I've been reporting on extensively, saying that basically the inspectors who went to Duma found that the chemical attack was essentially staged. But all of the evidence that they collected and the findings that they wrote up were censored and excluded. And when people push back on that, they say, well, you know, why would the U.S. and U.K. and its allies, you know, stage a chemical attack um, just to convince themselves to bomb as if the intended recipients of the of the narrative are other government officials? It's not the governments that need to be convinced to bomb Syria. It's the populations. It's the Western populations. And so these events are, are used to drum up support for bombing or also because otherwise, how can you get your government to sign off on, you know, spending billions of dollars to arm essentially Al-Qaeda and to go and, and bomb countries. You need to manufacture consent uh, for these military actions. And the way you do that is through these propaganda deceptions like staged chemical attacks and other deceptive uh, propaganda to win the consent of your people. And on this point, Ben, I feel like we should end by talking a bit about the White Helmets because that has been a major part of this propaganda operation as you guys at the Gray Zone have been reporting on for a few years now. It's a it's a, known as a rescue group that which films itself rescuing civilians. What gets omitted is that it works only in, uh, you know, quote-unquote rebel-held areas. It's taken part in executions. And I think most damningly, which a lot of people don't know, is that it was literally founded by a former British spy, uh, James Lemercier, uh, and it received tens of millions of dollars from Western governments. And there's been a very interesting scandal where James um, Le Monsieur, he committed suicide in Turkey last year. And it's since come out that around that time he was being investigated or scrutinized for corruption because he was getting paid a lot of money, but keeping that money for himself. So I'm wondering if you could talk about those revelations and the White Helmets overall in manufacturing the consent for the Syrian proxy war. Yeah, absolutely. Manufacturing consent is key for these governments to justify these wars. And it shouldn't be a surprise that it was repeated in Syria. We saw it, the most blatant example of it ever in Iraq. I mean, everyone knows about the WMD scandal. It's, it's infamous at this point. But the idea that Western governments would repeat not the exact same te technique, but a similar strategy to wage war in Syria. I mean, which just happens to be Iraq's neighbor. The, you know, the fact that people don't believe that is is really incredible, especially when you go back to the history, of course, of the Vietnam War, where we saw infamously the Gulf of Tonkin incident where the U.S. government blamed the Vietnamese for something that it itself carried out in order to justify, well, something that it itself provoked, rather, in order to justify and further engagement in the war in Vietnam and try to manufacture Western support for it. These, these, these tactics go back, I mean, 
millennia, frankly, every empire in human history has engaged in this kind of these provocative acts to portray itself as defensive when ultimately its wars, any imperial war is offensive. But getting back to the question you asked about the White Helmets, the White Helmets are a key example of the effectiveness of this Western propaganda campaign. And again, this is not the dispute that civilians were killed in bombings by the Syrian government. I talked about why it's not like the Syrian government wanted to do that. It was trying to retake its territory in a civil war. And, you know, I, 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 I seem to, to remember reading about civilians who were killed in the American Civil War. And, you know, it's not exactly the same, of course, but remember when the Confederates, these extremist white supremacists who supported slavery, were seizing territory from the federal U.S. government and it had to wage a war to win back those areas. It's, it's, of course, a different historical context, but there are many similarities with what was happening in Syria. And, of course, there are horrible civilian casualties, but the way that those were weaponized by Western corporate media is really incredible. It's another testament to how effective this propaganda campaign was. And some of these new leaked documents show how these Western government contractors were working directly with the White Helmets. In fact, I mentioned this Emirat, this UAE-based British government firm, ARK, ARK. They actually were running the White Helmets social media pages. They were running both the Twitter and the Facebook pages of Syria Civil Defense, who were known more commonly as the White Helmets. So they were running their official social media pages and doing PR and propaganda for them. And then this firm ARC worked with another PR firm that's called the Syria Campaign, which was based out of London and New York and funded by this Brit this Syrian British billionaire, Ayman Asfari, who was really, he was one of the main forces funding a lot of this because he had a vested interest as a British Syrian billionaire who wanted to get all these business contracts in a new Syrian government. And the White Helmets at every stage were micromanaged by these Western groups. In fact, ARC, this Western government contractor, they created a propaganda documentary back in 2014 pushing the White Helmets. And this was an Arabic language documentary that was broadcast daily again and again on these major Western government contracts, on these major um, Western corporate media outlets. And they were also broadcast on, on Al Jazeera and Al Arabiya. Al Arabiya. So what we see is that these Western government firms helped to create the branding, the marketing of serious civil defense, the White Helmets, and then they trained them all in their videos and gave them the equipment to make their videos, and then they helped distribute those videos in mainstream corporate media outlets so Western, Westerners heard about the White Helmets. So at every again, every stage of this propaganda campaign was micromanaged by these Western government contractors to manufacture consent, to brainwash Westerners, to justify Western direct military intervention to overthrow the Syrian government. It, it is the most blatant example you can find of, the, it's the very clear example of manufacturing consent happening right before our eyes. And I'll just say one other really just Orwellian, dystopian aspect of this. The hypocrisy is, is incredible. Another document shows how this firm ARC that was running the White Helmets accounts, it was also running the Facebook page of the city council for Idlib. Now, Idlib 
was is infamous because it's one of the few major cities in Syria that was that had the capital overtaken by the Syrian opposition. Who took over Idlib? Al Qaeda, the Syrian Al Qaeda affiliate Jabhat al Nusra, and Idlib right now is still under the control of rebranded Al Qaeda, the largest Al Qaeda affiliate since the 9/11 attacks. Now, what's incredible is that Ark was running the Al Qaeda-controlled City Council Facebook page, and it was running the White Helmets pages. At the same time, it filed a document with the UK Foreign Office that was that said it, it was going to follow quote UK guidance on gender sensitivity and quote ensure gender is considered in all capacity building and campaign development. So. It's totally Orwellian. You have this firm saying, we're going to make sure that women are have an equal role and we're going to maintain gender sensitivity and all this woke language while they're literally running the social infrastructure for Al-Qaeda in Syria. It, it's truly, truly dystopian. Where women have to completely cover themselves and people are terrorized by you know the the ruling authorities who enforce you know very very strict and harsh um sharia law you know to the point of where people are even tortured and and killed as happens on some of these videos that exist of where the white helmets uh assists in executions it's 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 really amazing and also by the way yeah aaron th there's a video in idlib you people can find online it's a gruesome video in Idlib in the central town square where in the, the heart of the city where Jaish, uh, where Jab Jabhat al-Nusra, the Syrian al-Qaeda affiliate, where they execute a woman accused of adultery. They shoot her in the head. And of course, the White Helmets helped out with executions like that. So in this city where this Western government contractor is maintaining its city council Facebook page and ensuring gender sensitivity, women are executed because they're accused of adultery. Right. And meanwhile, so the revelations recently about James Lemassiere, I think are really important because White Helmets, you know, they won uh, a film about them, won an Oscar, widely celebrated in the West. Meanwhile, they're founded by this former British spy, uh, who has served in the U.S. Embassy in Iraq as an advisor. I'm not sure what he did there after the U.S. occupation of 2003. He also served as a jailer of Palestinian political prisoners uh, in the occupied West Bank. And then he, and he founds the White Helmets, and his group is you know celebrated around the world. He is billed as a hero. Meanwhile, and this has come out since his suicide in Turkey, he was pocketing a lot of money for himself and pocketing all this money that was supposed to go ostensibly to rescue workers in Syria for himself. Um, he uh, he pocketed, according to this one audit that was reported on in the European press, at least $50,000 uh, and probably more. He had three houses, including an Ottoman villa on a Turkish island. And when auditors focused specifically on this missing $50,000, uh, it was found that this was uh, taken as a personal bonus for Le Mercier, and it was taken out of an account that, this is according, according to one article, that was, quote, in fact intended for the rescue workers in Syria who are risking their lives there for $150 a month, unquote. So not only is this guy, James Le Mercier, involved in a propaganda operation that is being used 
to um, exploit the suffering in Syria to drum up support for U.S. intervention and sanctions. But he's even taking the money for that operation that is supposed to be going to the people on the ground who are conducting rescue missions, and he's pocketing that for himself. I think it's a pretty good illustration of the cynicism and the corruption that is at play in this entire you know, Western-funded propaganda effort in Syria. Uh, your final comments, Ben Norton. No, Aaron, you just encapsulated it there in that horrible symbol. It's truly cynical. And if you read these documents, that which people can find at thegrayzone.com, I link to all of them so anyone can fact check it. And our critics have attacked us and smeared us, of course, predictably, but have not challenged a single fact because it's all thoroughly documented here. If people see what, what I report, it's just clear how cynical these people are. And yeah, there's definitely elements of corruption, but it's also just, it's the great game. It's straight up imperialism, neocolonialism. These Western governments are manufacturing consent for a war of aggression to try to basically recolonize an independent post-colonial Arab state in the heart of the Middle East that has an independent government that does not kowtow to their foreign policy. And it's, it's really incredible the, the degree to which they went and, and how they're still waging this war. I mean, they lost the military aspect of the war, but I didn't even mention the brutal economic war, the sanctions, the de facto blockade of Syria that might even cause a famine inside Syria and has destroyed the economy. And this entire you know region of the world has been totally devastated by U.S. and European intervention. And it really, it, it just echoes the colonial era that we saw 100, 200, 300, 400 years ago. And unfortunately, these documents show how little has changed, just the technology around it. And with this technology, just to stress this point one final time, with this technology, we see a degree of brainwashing that is unparalleled in human history, and it's very dangerous. Yeah, and on the topic of the sanctions that are now trying to essentially punish Syrian civilians for the fact that their government defeated the U.S.-backed proxy war, let me read to you a headline that was uh, from an article that was recently in the, the American Prospect, and it illustrates the savagery that is at play now and just how absurd it is. The article is called, From the U.S. to Syria, a Doctor Smuggles Life-Saving Equipment. He bought it in the U.S., shipped it to a friend through Europe and into Lebanon, and found a way to smuggle it by road into Syria. But this was a piece of contraband only made illegal by the U.S. cruel policy of sanctions towards Syria. A critical part needed to fix a broken CT scanner, the sole machine in a city of over 100,000 people in Syria. Unquote. So this is a Syrian-American doctor having to smuggle in a part into Syria to fix a broken CT scanner. And that is, in a nutshell, the current U.S. policy towards Syria. And look, man, maybe you can comment on this just as we wrap. Do you see any discussion of the, US, of the murderous U.S. sanctions on Syria right now at all? It's like a country that we helped destroy is being uh, prevented from rebuilding and treating itself with medical equipment, but yet it's just not discussed at all. No, Aaron, I mean, I, I don't want to be pessimistic, but Realistically speaking, I, I see almost no discussion of it. In some progressive circles and anti-war circles, there's a growing movement to try to make anti-sanctions work part, a key message in the overall anti-war struggle. And I think that's really important because 
in throughout this interview, I've been talking about how this propaganda campaign waged by Western governments is part of an information war and how in the 21st century, when everyone gets access to their information through their phones and their computers and social media, access to information is crucial and management of that information is how these Western governments can manufacture consent for war. So the, the character of war has changed fundamentally and Sanctions are another key part of that. It's not just information war. Economic warfare kills just as many, if not more people. In fact, there's, there could be an argument made that in some cases, sanctions and these blockades kill more civilians than just the conventional bombing because there are tens of thousands in Venezuela who have died because of the blockade and they're invisible to Western corporate media and to Western governments. And the same with Iran and the same with Syria. I mentioned that in the case of Syria, you have some full-time regime change operatives like Charles Lister, who have basically boasted that famine could be a possibility because of these sanctions. And he, he supports those f sanctions. So they're, they're trying to starve entire countries the, the masses of the people, millions and millions. This is not Bashar al-Assad in, in his presidential palace. This is millions of, civ of civilians inside Syria who can't get, get I, they can't get bread, be, not just because of the sanctions, but also because the U.S. military is physically occupying the breadbasket of Syria. So th these are barbaric medieval tactics being waged. And I use the term neo-colonial. I mean, it's not, it's not just imperial. It, it is really neo-colonialism. And anyone who has a conscience, especially people who are frustrated with having to pay taxes and seeing their tax dollars go to commit these egregious crimes, we should all be outraged by this. And, you know, at the Gray Zone, we're trying to expose it. We, we're working on, on similar leaks that we might have a part two coming out soon, showing how these same Western government contractors were helping to develop civil society infrastructure in Al-Qaeda-controlled territory in, in Syria, training police forces in Al-Qaeda-held territory. So this, this is, the last note I'll end on here is that this report that I published at the Gray Zone is just scratching the surface. This is just talking about a few of the Western government contractors. There are many more. This isn't even to acknowledge what the MI6 itself was doing, what the CIA itself was doing, what the Pentagon itself was doing. So in, in the upcoming years, we're going to see more and more examples of just the savagery, the, the barbarism of the actions carried out by these Western governments and their allies in the Middle East to try to destroy Syria and to try to terrorize the entire collective population of Syria. And speaking of leaks, I have more leaks coming up soon as well on the topic of Duma and the OPCW cover-up. There'll be more reporting on that from me soon as well. But Ben's article is called Leak Docs Expose Massive Syria Propaganda Operation Waged by Western Government Contractors and Media at thegrayzone.com. We'll link to it. Ben Norton, thanks very much. Thanks, Aaron.